Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Use Bosch Camera's onboard intelligent video analytics to quickly locate important recorded incidents or events. Bosch's forensic search saves you time and money by searching through hours or days of video within minutes to find and collect video evidence. Learn more about intelligent video analytics from Bosch in Zones 1-4 through of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast. This is our special weekly series. Um, I'm joined today by my colleagues Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Meehan and our producer Kevin Tran. Um, We'll go ahead and get started and talk a little bit about, uh, like we have for too long now, and that's COVID-19. We know that uh, the SARS-CoV-2 virus continues to spread in the United States and around the world, uh, especially here in Florida, where I am, and Arizona as well, I understand. But, um, you know, there's uh, the mask wearing. There are more and more studies keep emerging. I see weekly around how that blocks the virus. That's why surgeons wear masks, so that if they're they have a virus or or they're spreading it uh, or they or bacteria ridden, and they're not spreading that to the patient. So um, we know that that seems to be the answer is blocking the uh, the water droplets that carry the virus. Um, we uh, we've learned more and more about the vaccines. Uh, at least one over 165 in production right now. Um, our understanding is the one that the U.S. Uh, is teamed up with Moderna on that that uh, vaccine went from identifying the genomic uh, uh, profile of the uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus uh, put out by China, verified, and then in 62 days, they had the the molecule or the uh, virus, or excuse me, the vaccine developed um, so that they could start doing heavy intensive testing on that and then some other versions. And that's just one example. But the technology evolution has just been incredible. Now it's taking too long for all of us that are waiting for some therapeutic and vaccine relief, of course, but um, something that normally takes years, uh, it's, it's incredible, just, just two months. So um, we know that there is um, an Oxford um, vaccine that they're doing with uh, AstraZeneca, uh, that that is in phase three t- trials at uh, phase one and two, uh, seem to be very successful so far. Again, we know it's uh, not over till it's over, um, but that they're getting dual signals. You know, you're looking for some signal that the not just binding antibodies like we've talked about, but that there are neutralizing antibodies and they're generated, uh, that the body generates enough of them to be uh, efficacious or, or destroy the virus, clear you, the patient. Um, but they're not only getting the antibodies and particularly the neutralizing antibodies, they are also uh, generating uh, killer T cells, um, and those may be more durable. Uh, in other words, uh, may maintain more uh, immunity for us uh, than just an antibody uh, re- response to a vaccine. And again, the vaccine is designed to trick the body, trick us into thinking we've got the virus, and generate all the protection. And then there, when we're exposed to a infectious dose or load, which hopefully if everybody's wearing masks, we won't be, we may be exposed to some virus, but not an infectious dose and certainly not a serious one. Um, so that, I think that's uh, some good news right there is looking for that durable response. They're trying to look at the, can people be reinfected? I think that uh, the main uh, players in the United States are still very skeptical that 
um, people seen to re retest positive, that there have been those reports anecdotal around the United States and the world, but that maybe that's not happening. There's, you know, nobody knows for sure yet, but rather uh, RNA remnants are there and, uh, or there's still some virus, but it's just as they call it, um, it's not uh, uh, replication, uh, replicating itself. It's uh, replication incompetent, as they say. So um, stay tuned as um, 165 known uh, vaccines continue to move their way through the uh, phase one, two, and three trials. Um, looking ahead to um, uh, the LPRC and what we're trying to do here to continually support our community, uh, we've got another upcoming call planned. Uh, we don't have the date certain yet, but uh, we're working on the outline right now. And of course, it'll be a combination of um, routine uh, protection, asset protection, um, obviously, uh, COVID-19 and, and going around the room, if you will, with retailers and understanding sort of their current state of affairs, uh, but doing some lesson learn lessons learned on both COVID um, and on the, the looting situation that we have seen and, and continues seen in Seattle and Portland <clears throat> and every once in a while some other places. What are things that were tried? Uh, what are things that they would do differently? And what does that mean, the implications for them? So we're excited to host another call coming up. Uh, we have a planning call tomorrow for that. Um, the landing pages, we continue to update uh, both on the looting uh, and rioting, as well as on the COVID-19 landing pages at LPRC's uh, website, which is lpresearch.org, lpresearch.org. Um, all seven working groups um, maintaining a steady flow. We've had an increase. We were expecting a decrease in participation over the last 90 days. And again, all seven working groups meet monthly uh, by Microsoft Teams. So we're excited to see there's a lot of progress, good projects that are coming out of those. Uh, and again, we're looking at retail fraud working group. We're looking at violent crime working group, the ORC um, uh, product protection, um, supply chain protection. Uh, among others. So uh, we're excited to continue to support the community with these ongoing working groups. Uh, LPRC Innovate, um, Logan and team and Natanya uh, have been putting in more technologies. Um, we've had visits from some of our solution partner members now. We can get them cleared into the uh, UF Innovate building um, to stand up the capability to communicate and all the technologies being put in. We uh, are Online tour is being set up. Some of you know, um, we've got uh, matter tags. In other words, we can tag things so you put your cursor on. Uh, but with 190, almost 200 technologies, it's taking a, a little while, but we, and we want to do it right. But we want everybody to be able to, anywhere in the world at their convenience, come in and tour all four of our labs um, and get a, an idea of what we're up to. Um, our virtual reality, um, LPRC's VR lab, uh, is a platform that's amazingly uh, functional, it's cool, and it's allowing us to explore different options much more rapidly, much cheaper, um, you know, more cost-effectively than uh, going out into places and, and is safer uh, and less disruptive. So a lot of uh, neat things happening at Innovate, including our, uh, our Solve AI Solve um, concept where uh, Dell and NVIDIA actually, as we speak, are building uh, a neat edge server for us that will have some NVIDIA T4s, Tesla T4 GPUs in it, four of them at least, um, a lot of space to provide some edge capability for the computer science and, and uh, engineering students and faculty that we work with to work with us on, um, on training 
not just uh, singular uh, stationary imagery um, algorithms or models, but is also uh, moving action models. So uh, stay tuned as we uh, continue to use that for computer vision and other uses. So thank you to Dell Technologies and NVIDIA for that. Uh, Malong, uh, Everseen, Sensormatic, uh, Axis, and Bosch. Um, uh, so far also, those five organizations are, are prime sponsors of LPRC, but are helping us um, develop more and more capability, particularly in the AI realm. Um, so uh, we'll update that as we get more going on. Uh, so with no further ado, I'd like to turn it over to my uh, colleague and friend, Tony D'Onofrio. Tony, can you bring us up to speed on what's going on in the world? Thank you, uh, Reed, very much. Uh, let me start with an aside because uh, some interesting stuff that I'm seeing uh, in terms of COVID-19 and what is happening. I'm actually part of a Harvard University-based consortium for operational excellence in retailing, and they're hosting now uh, two calls a week just updating in terms of what's going on around the world. And yesterday they had a really interesting uh, presentation from uh, the Hong Kong Institute of Textile and Apparel, uh, which is led by a former supply chain executive from Walmart. And what they've been doing, they came up with a new mask that's six layers that has copper, uh, that, I, that has like, I think he said seven patents and they're working now to deploy that. They first deployed it in Hong Kong. So they ship millions of these within Hong Kong itself, and now they're working on licensing it to retailers. Uh, so you'll start seeing really these advancements. What's unique about these is they, they maintain the, free, the filtration for up to 60 washes. So you can actually wash these masks and they maintain their filtration of, uh, and they're, uh, the, they're N99, so they're above the current N95 that you can buy. So they maintain the N99 for 60 washes. So there's a lot, What the reason I bring that up, there's a lot of innovation going on around the world for interim solutions that uh, we, that can be leveraged. And it was good to see that these will be licensed to retailers. So I'm anticipating that at some point in the fall, you'll start seeing masks as a fashion statement. So that'll be interesting uh, to watch. But let me jump to the data because there was a lot of interesting data that came out uh, this week. So uh, first, there's an update from IHL in terms of where we're at through June 2020 in terms of U.S. retail. So the food sector is up 13% through June. The drug sector is down 2%. Mass merch is up 4%. Department stores are down 20%. Especially soft goods, which would include apparel, is down 39%. Convenience is down 17%. Restaurants are down 23%. And online pure play is up 18%. Uh, the same uh, presentation also provided the latest forecast in terms of what's going to happen for the year. So the current project, the updated projections for the year are for food and grocery to be up 12%, drug stores to be up 7 mass merchandise to be up 11 department stores to be down 23 especially soft goods to be down 33%, and convenience to be down 19%. And overall, Retail will be down this year, it will not grow, it will be down the current projection, say 7.6%. Because we're having an uneven open and close uh, in the US with the uh, current spikes that Reed mentioned, for example, in Florida, the number of store closures have actually have been increased. Right now they're over 400,000, that's up over 100,000 from uh, the previous forecast. 
338,000 of these are small business, one store chains. So small business is gonna get severely impacted by this. Large chains, 1,000 stores or, or, or more forecasts that have been out there anywhere from 24,000 to 25,000 stores that will be closed in that sector. So we're still going through some tough time and the uncertainty right now in terms of what's going on in some of the states in the US will continue to drive the, this data. Um, there was also a very good study that came out this week on inventory distortion and what happens with out of stocks and, um, and overstocks. So uh, the problem, uh, and this is an ongoing study that IHL does every year. So the, the total uh, in terms of what the inventory distortion in terms of the problem is actually a huge number. It's 1.8 trillion. 81% comes from out of stocks and 19% comes from overstocks. And overstocks are deeper discounts that you had to take because you, you actually did not manage the supply chain effectively enough. And just to give an idea how bad this is, this is equivalent to 10% of same store sales in, in retail and hospitality. The, the, the pandemic actually has made this worse. We were actually improving this, this problem prior to the, uh, to the pandemic. Um, in fact, we were, uh, we were gaining on it by about 158 billion prior to the pandemic, but the pandemic caused major spikes because supply chain had major issues. For example, sales of hand sanitizer were up 600%, spray disinfectant were up 366%, all purpose screeners were up over 300%. And so what was happening is typically there's a four month supply chain in the pipe and that supply chain was, was uh, basically being eaten up in two weeks which caused major, major problems for some of those favorite categories that we talked about in the past, toilet paper, puzzles, uh, all these kind of things that were in high demand. So uh, the pandemic actually caused some severe impact. Uh, so IHL estimates that retailers experienced a $570 billion loss uh, related to the, to the uh, surge and to the lockdowns. The key technologies identified to solve this problem are computer-aided uh, ordering, streaming data, and IoT technologies such as RFID and cloud-based platforms. Uh, and then finally, this study pointed out where the next battlegrounds are in retail, and they are really dealing with the age of the systems that are out there and how do you integrate those to deliver an omni-channel experience, battle tools for associates, fixing inventory issues, and a lot more artificial intelligence and machine learning for store operational, to address store operational issues. So that's a little bit on inventory distortion. Uh, NRF this week also updated their latest study in terms of the importance of the retail industry to US retail. So retail continues to be the largest private sector employer in US and, and supports more than one in four USA jobs or 52 million in total. The GDP impact of retail in the US is uh, 3.9 trillion. And finally, uh, this week also NRF published their latest shrink survey. Uh, this is a national shrink survey that comes out of the University of Florida uh, jointly with NRF. And so what did the latest shrink survey found that shrink is an all time high at 1.62 
5% of sales, costing the industry now almost nearly $62 billion. We typically used to talk about the $50 billion range. Now it's at 61.7 to be exact. Much more of a priority for retailers uh, in terms of the area of shrink are e-commerce crime, organized retail crime, cyber crime, internal theft, and return fraud. And the top five um, systems that are being used for LP are burglar alarms, DVRs, live customer CCTV, armor card deposits, and POS data mining. So. Uh, a lot of technology is actually discussed inside this study, so I would encourage everyone to read it. It's available from the NRF website. But after reading it, I would also encourage you to engage with the LPRC because you can actually do a lot of optimization of how these technologies get deployed by working with retailers and the data scientists at the Loss Prevention Research Condor really to come back to this growing problem of shrink. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Tom. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Reed. Um, so I, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the protests first and some of the civil disturbance really from a, a standpoint of collecting and gathering information. Um, so regardless of where you, you lie from a political standpoint, the news media is selectively providing information. So I know the traditional thought process would be to go to the news for information I think uh, it's important now to just remind everybody of all the other sources uh, using social media monitoring and open source intelligence gathering in the dark dark web. Um, I've been working with a, a couple fairly large retailers on this and um, unfortunately, a lot of the information they're getting from the more traditional sources is either inaccurate or missing things. So it's just a reminder to dust off that social media and open source intelligence uh, monitoring. I know at the LPRC and the Innovations Working Group, we've talked a lot about that. Uh, it's also important to remember that when um, you're in a, a really busy news cycle, that the news can only report certain things. So with weather events, COVID, um, and normal kind of occurrences, you're not going to get that full depth. So it's you know going out and actually pulling information and verifying information is very, very important. Um, and that leads me kind of to my second point of with a lot of the kind of phasing related to COVID-19 is very fluid and changing. So I know that we're working directly with a client here at Control Tech who uh, is in the food services industry who is struggling with maintaining and keeping up with the regulations because each jurisdiction was different. So um, I, I can say that uh, in what I'm seeing is there's quite a bit of civil unrest that's not being uh, portrayed through the, the media um, for whatever reason. Uh, certainly, uh, we're hearing a lot of the talk about federal agents in Seattle and, and so on and so forth. But when you dig deeper, um, there is still a couple pockets in the United States that are experiencing um, protests that are violent and destructive. So turning over to the cybersecurity and risk, COVID-19 has impacted our lives in many aspects. One of them is the emerging trend in cybersecurity. Um, threats are larger on a global scale than anything that we've seen. Uh, most governments globally now are reporting an increase of uh, cybersecurity reports. The FBI and the Department of Justice uh, reported the, that they're getting about three to 4,000 complaints um, a lot of these coming through the Federal Bureau of Investigations Internet Crime Complaint, uh, Complaint Center 
the, the scary part here is the increase in complaints what they're registering is only what they know. So not everybody actually files these complaints. It takes time, but it's a huge, huge in increase uh, throughout the United States, as well as the European Union have already stated that um, the risk from hackers has uh, increased at almost unmeasurable numbers related to specifically the COVID-19. There is a 350% uh, surge in phishing attacks directly related to COVID-19. So I know we talk about um, this uh, weekly, but I think it's really important to, to talk about the magnitude and how it's not slowing down. If anything, it it's, um, and needs to be increased. There's continued uh, attacks in the financial sector as well as enterprise to get uh, worker information for identity theft. Uh, infrastructure in developing company uh, countries is really struggling uh, where in uh, some of these developing countries that don't have the, the robust governments are really struggling and your utilities are being attacked and their, and their central banks are being attacked. Working from home, uh, although I think uh, now you have a lot of the country that is starting to transition back to offices, you still have a significant amount of people working at home, poses security, uh, cybersecurity challenges for businesses. 91% of enterprise um, reported an increase in cyber attacks. Uh, this, this was a survey done by Opinion Matters. They surveyed over 3,000 uh, uh, executives uh, in the United States. Uh, and they saw a 91% reported increase in enterprise attacks. This is um, folks that are in fairly large enterprise companies that really reported this. So if you think about um, the climate and everything that's going on, that level of increase is significant. Um, malware specifically designed uh, to, to attack in COVID-19 was up about 92%. It's important to note that malware in general was up. So when, when we say it's up 92% post-COVID, pre-COVID, it was still um, well above 50% uh, compared to last year. So um, these are just challenges that are, will continue to occur that are magnitude uh, by that. There was an interesting uh, report done specific to Singapore, but I think Singapore is a developed country. So um, I think you would see similar results. Um, there are a whole bunch of cybersecurity experts that really talked about it. Um, one. Rick McVoy from uh, Carbon Black really talked about the global situation related to uh, COVID-19 and the business resilience and disaster recovery planning and where, how organizations who really thought they had great disaster recovery and business resilience found out how um, inept it really was. Again, this was specific to companies that were housed in Singapore, but I think when you, when you read through and, and these type of things, you realize that it really plays to all of us. Uh, one of the one of the key things that came up uh, in the reporting is that companies that do, so delayed implementing multi-factor uh, authentication appear to be facing the largest amount of challenges in Singapore. So about 30% of the companies that Singapore that were uh, in this study uh, did not institute multi-factor authentication uh, and that created a challenge. And for those of the listeners that don't know what multi-factor authentication is, it means when you go to, to log into it, into an account, uh, whether it be an enterprise-wide account or a public account, there's a secondary um, authenticator. Usually it's a text message. It also can be a, an app authentication app. Uh, so for those listeners that don't have that enabled in everything, go and do it. It's free and just about every service is available. Most banking and financial institutions require it 
as a if you're logging in to a different location but facebook gmail instagram they all have it it's it, it takes an extra second or two and it really adds quite a bit of a layer of protection um, a lot of companies resist it because of the challenge of training so it's, it's important to really run there uh, and back to the, the kind of the same thing from another report not related to um uh, Singapore, but a global report that really talks about uh, the gaps in business recovery planning. 90% um, of the, the folks uh, globally in this study that were talked to, 89.9% uh, described that uh, their business recovery plans on paper were very good, but when they went into the pandemic, they realized the gaps there. 86% of uh, those participants also identified general, uh, not just cybersecurity, but IT operational gaps. So it's really, it's really important to know that uh, this is a good, uh, if you can take some light of COVID-19, it allows you to really say, this is a worst case scenario. What are some of the infrastructure gaps I, I, I have or seen? I know specific to asset protection and loss prevention, there's been a lot of uh, conversation around remote video, remote capability, the ability to see and touch your stores via video, um, how many uh, retailers in the United States had different levels of remote capability and how uh, important it was when it came through. And with cybersecurity um, and really security in general, education and awareness is the key to success. So yes, some of this is repetitive. Obviously, these are new numbers and we've been talking about some of the things uh, over the years, but uh, it's so important to really continuously drive the education awareness. That's what that's what helps uh, with cybersecurity and physical security as well. And then I want to just close on a note that uh, a few podcasts ago we talked about um, something that I saw on the dark web related to countermeasures and some bugaboo guys, and um, it actually was about I think it was three three episodes ago, and it did uh, surface in national media. So that was something that. I had saw and we'd worked with the LPRC on the dark web almost a month before the national media picked it up and it's just a reminder and what it was was that there were groups going out and creating um, organizing fictitious uh, protests to divert law enforcement and to divert the counter groups so this was specifically designed to get Antifa one place and um, another group another place and then also this uh, just ban law enforcement. So a reminder that when you are using your social media that the fact checking and validation and understanding that it's not an exact science um, is important. So um, over to you, Reed. All right, many thanks to you, Tom, for that briefing. And, um, you know, life is like an iceberg, right? There's a lot going on beneath the, uh, the surface there uh, that we really, those of us that are not just trying to understand uh, and test solutions, but uh, you all, the frontline, the practitioner, um, obviously the, the more situational awareness and understanding that all of us have, the better. So I appreciate that, Tom. And thank you, Tony, again, for such a thorough briefing and looking at the macro scale, uh, particularly in looking at retail and what's going on in the United States and around the globe. Um, so I want to wish everybody out there uh, a safe and productive uh, rest of the week. Uh, please, at any time, reach out to LPRC, our lpresearch.org. Let us know your questions, your comments, your suggestions. Um, if you're a member, we encourage you to get involved. Get as many of your team members involved as you want. It's a family membership um, in the working groups and our, using our knowledge center, the app. The app is amazing. It's got feeds that come in from LP Magazine and D&D &D and Security Magazine, all kinds of sources. So 
Um, it's a one-stop shop. It's a, sort of a Twitter feed style, if you will, um, but also then can allow you and connect you into the working groups and the projects that are underway or that you might want to get involved in and, and so forth. Um, so it's a, a really neat app. The Knowledge Center is very thorough and updated continuously. So I uh, encourage you to do that. Take advantage of any and everything you can. Um, so from Gainesville, I want to thank again Tony and Tom and Kevin. Stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.